Welcome to the Harmony Christian Church Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. Went to a uh, Zach Williams concert a week ago Friday down in Indianapolis, and it was uh, interesting. It was at the old Marat. I'm not sure. Uh, I don't think it was at the Marat Temple, but it was one of Marat's buildings. And they served alcohol at this uh, Christian concert. And it was the, the oddest thing to go to a Christian concert and the predominant smell was beer. But I tell you, God is doing some things in a very unusual way at times. God is moving. I hope you realize that God is alive and well today. There's some pretty concerning things going on in our world, but God is still moving. He's alive and well. They had a incredible praise and worship session about two weeks ago down at our Indiana State House, and uh, it was phenomenal. I hope you've seen the uh, video clip of that. It's incredible, but here at this uh, Zach Williams concert, the row in front of us and the four people to to my left, they were all uh, going through the concert holding their modellos, and uh, whenever Zach was giving his testimony, I looked down, and the guy down on the end, he's standing there holding his beer and tears running down his face. God was doing something in him. Now, we can sit there and judge, or we can say, God, just do whatever you want to do. Have your way. And I, all, all I can tell you is that from that guy, four rows back and one row back this way, Another guy was crying because he was crying. <laughs> but uh, God is on the move. I, I want to speak to you this morning about uh, that I'm going deeper, and I have a couple of different pictures about going deeper. You know, we can go deeper in, in the sense of thinking about in water, or we can think about getting our roots deeper. Both are good. Uh, the, the water picture, it frustrates me to see how many ministries around are about two inches deep and a hundred miles wide and we need to be deeper and uh, we we may just be a hundred and fifty or so here but I think we're going deeper and that's what I want you to be doing too I don't want you to be a believer for 40 50 60 years and you haven't gone someplace and mainly your roots have gone deep and so that's what I want to talk to to us about this morning I really have Several different things I want to want to mention, but uh, I, this is my 51st year as a born again believer, and I, I'm I'm glad to to look back on those times and think I'm continuing to go deeper, even though I'm not pastoring any longer. I'm I'm still going deeper in the things of God. Uh, we all need to be pursuing Him with all of our heart. Hallelujah. So, uh, as you know, as we go through this morning, as you know, I use a lot of different scriptures. And so, uh, let's begin to dive into really two or three different things. First of all, it's Pentecost Sunday. I'm not sure if you recognize that or not. This is Pentecost Sunday. And that is uh, 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ is when the baptism of the Holy Spirit was given, when the Holy Spirit was was, uh, come upon men in Acts chapter 2. So, let's take a look at us. Scripture here, Acts 2 and verse 38, it says, Then Peter said to them, we're talking about Peter, 
Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I use this verse in one of our life group lessons, but I want to go over this just briefly here this morning since it's Pentecost Sunday. Let's read this again. Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And the last part of this I think is interesting. And he said, And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Don't we normally say, Repent and, be ba- uh, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins so that you can go to heaven or so that you can be saved? That's what we normally say. If you come forward and we pray for you, we'll tell you to repent. I'm going to talk about that word here a little bit later. It's really not a good word. Not properly translated word, I should say. Uh, It's not a cuss word. (laughs) You come forward, we, we tell you to repent and be baptized, and you're going to go to heaven. You're going to be saved. But here he says, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's how important the Holy Spirit is, and I hope you have the Holy Spirit operating in your life. I hope you are being led by the Spirit. Those who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons and the daughters of God. So we need to be walking in the Spirit as He is in the Spirit. Now let's look at Romans 14, verse 7. It says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So whenever you and I have the Holy Spirit, this is giving us the guidelines of how we should be living according to kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. And so we're supposed to be living here on earth with kingdom principles. And this is telling us how to do it. It says, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. In, in other words, it's not this, just this physical realm. We need to get beyond just the physical realm. He says, don't pay any attention to what you're going to wear. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't I take care of the birds of the field? Why are you worried about that stuff? Get into the things of God. Get into the the kingdom stuff. And forget about the kingdom of this world. If you'll live His kingdom come here on earth, He'll take care of you in your everyday life. So he's saying, get beyond just the eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. I want to talk about the the first. I just come up, decided to talk about this this morning, uh, kind of changed my notes a little bit. I'm going to talk about this just for a moment. I'm going to start out with peace. Peace. We prayed peace over Buzz. He's getting ready to go into surgery, and that can be an anxious time. But don't you know the word says be anxious for nothing. And that means surgery as well as anything else. But that's not easy to do. And why do we struggle in all of these areas? Righteousness, peace, and joy. We we all struggle in those areas. Why is it? It's because we try to live in our own righteousness. We try to create our own peace. And we try to create our own joy. And all three of those, righteousness, peace, and joy, have to come from the Lord. We have been made the righteousness of God. So our righteousness is not in and of ourselves. We have peace because of the Prince of Peace. 
And we have joy because it's the joy of the Lord that is our strength. And so all of those things are beyond who we are. We need to tie into those things by, by being tied into the Lord. And so we live through Him. He's in us and we are in Him. And we are able to live righteously because of His righteousness. We're able to live in great peace even in the midst of the storm, in the midst of trials and tribulation. What we try to do is try to eliminate all kinds of stuff in our life so that we can have a more peaceful life. We try to, to eliminate all the sadness in our life so that we can live in joy. Whenever he's, How was Paul able to be one of the most joyful people you've ever met in prison? Because he knew how to tap into the joy of the Lord. So we have to learn to abide in him to where righteousness, peace, and joy are. Now, righteousness is, is a, an in, interesting word. You, we, you hear uh, pa- Pastor Josh mentions many times about how we are the righteousness of Christ Jesus. Righteousness is, is a word that... The, the deepest meaning of righteousness, it has, you have to understand that righteousness comes from God the Father. And so the definition of righteousness has to be based on God's righteousness. We, we give a definition to it of, well, righteousness is right standing with God. That's, that's righteousness for us. But the true definition of righteousness is from God's perspective, because He's the one who is righteous. Are you following what I'm saying? So the most accurate definition of righteousness is this. It's the, he is the one who is true to himself. The one who is true to himself. God cannot lie, because He is true. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He cannot lie. He is absolutely true to who he is. He, he cannot falter. He cannot fail. He is true to who he is. So if you and I are going to walk in true righteousness, the way we have to do it is be true who we are. And you say, you don't know who I am. I can can mess up sometimes. I'm not talking about who you are before you was born again. I'm talking about who you are now that you've been born again. Well, you don't understand the family I was born into. Probably not. Get born again and it doesn't make any difference. Get born into his family and then we live from the family of God's righteousness. And then we can be true to who we are. That is biblical righteousness. And so you and I, we need to be understanding. Here we're celebrating the the day of Pentecost, receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit operating in our lives. And that life is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you're not living in those three, then, then you need to make some adjustments. And that, that's okay. We all need to make adjustments. And you may be in the three at one at, at certain time of your life, and you may be just in two of them at the, at the next week. But continuously strive 
to be in the presence of Almighty God so that you can walk in all three of those all the time. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Romans 12, 2. And do not be conformed to this world. I'd say most everybody in this room this morning knows Romans 12, 2. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Do not be conformed to this world. CNN, CBS, ABC, NBC, and even Fox News is not going to form my opinion of this world. I am not going to be conformed by what they're telling me on the evening news. In fact, I just don't even watch the evening news any longer. It's, it's not worth watching. So much of it is, is not, not true. It's not, it's not what we need to be knowing as far as kingdom is concerned. But I am not going to allow the, the world to tell me how I'm supposed to be and how I'm supposed to operate in this world. That is God's responsibility. And it's my responsibility to learn what He's expecting out of me. And I'm not even going to allow peer pressure Peer pressure is powerful. And I want to hear what my peers have to say, and I want to learn from my peers, but you don't have final say in how I'm going to have my biblical worldview. That's God's responsibility. So be not conformed to this world. Conformed, it's, it's like a pressure has been put on you to form you and mold you into a certain way. And you know that the world is doing that. The world is putting pressure, especially on our youth today. The world is pressuring our youth into being and thinking a certain way. And we have to stand up against it. You have to train up a child in the way he should go. Because the world is doing everything they can to conform them to their image and to their likeness. And we in the church, we need to quit trying to conform God into our image we're to be in His image. <clears throat> the second part says, But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that accept- good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Transform. Salvation without transformation is useless. And we see too much of that even in the church. We, we see salvation, quote unquote, without transformation. If you're not different this year than you are was last year, something isn't right. I've, I've been at this for 51 years now, and I am nothing like what I was 10 years ago, let alone 51 years ago. I'm so much deeper into the things of God. He has transformed who I am. There has to be transformation in your life. And you're not going to be able to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by watching stuff you shouldn't be watching, by reading stuff you shouldn't be watching, by taking in things that you have no business being around. You need to be getting yourself into prayer, into the Word of God, so that your mind can be transformed to the Word of God. Somebody says, well, I, I just don't know how to pray. Praying is, 
is easy whenever you understand. All you have to do is pray the Word. Just pray the Bible. And you're praying. That's pretty good praying. Be transformed by the renewing. Renew your mind to the things of God and line yourself up with the Word of God and be transformed. Being transformed, the definition of that, the Greek word is metanoia. Metanoia, M-E-T-A-N-O-I-A. Metanoia, the definition is a transformative change of heart, especially a spiritual conversion, a total change of mind. That is the definition of salvation. Whenever we are saved, there is to be a transformation of your mind. You are supposed to begin to think differently. You act differently. You begin to behave differently. Because there has been a transformation of your mind. It's metanoia that takes place at salvation. We use the word repent so that you'll be saved. The problem with repent is this. It was developed from the Vulgate translation of the Bible, which is the Latin translation come out from the Roman Catholic Church. In 382, the Pope at that time, he had uh, St. Jerome, who was a Bible scholar of, of his day, had him to write a translation of the Bible that would be more it is in Latin so that it would be uh, more compatible with Catholicism. And so he uses that word repent. And you can tell whenever you understand the, the meaning of repent is really a, a Catholicism kind of mindset. Repent means to do penance over and over again. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up is because you and I are supposed to have metanoia. We're supposed to have a transformation of our mind. There's, there's a transformation that takes place. There's a rebirth of your spirit. But true, the true meaning of repentance, is it means that every time you mess up, you go and you pay penance again. You go and you grovel and you beg and you ask for forgiveness once again. And you can also, even the... the the precise meaning of it uh, that Jerome came up with was that you would go to your priest and your priest would forgive you. How many of you know that's false doctrine? Jesus is the only one that forgives sins. So whenever we have a mindset that we're going to repent, we're going to do penance over and over again, that's what we have, de we have developed a culture now where people feel like, well, every time they mess up, you know, they're just a no-good sinner, and they're just, they don't amount to anything. And we have this mindset that I just got to go run and, and pay penance again. Which, there's nothing wrong with asking for forgiveness, but you're not supposed to be living at that low level. That's a lower level. There's a higher level, and it is metanoia. That is where there has been a renewing of your spirit. You know that you have been born again. And if I mess up, what do you do? I run to the Father. And He embraces me. And He takes me in. Because my heart 
has been renewed. My mind now sees things differently. Adam in the garden really made two mistakes. He first sinned, disobeyed. But the second was almost more serious than the first. And that is that he hid from God. What would have happened if he had, God comes walking into the garden that morning and he said, Adam, where are you? And he come running up to him and said, Daddy, I've messed up. I sinned. I think we'd have a different outcome. What would happen if you and I acted the same way? If we'd quit paying penance, feeling like time and time again I have to go and grovel and beg for something that's already been given to me and go running to the loving Father. That's metanoia. Let's jump to Hebrews 4. This is the idea that we get whenever we do just as I explained. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Isn't that a great way to live? That's a wonderful way to have your Christian walk designed after. Now, whenever we begin to walk in metanoia, we'll learn to trust in His forgiveness, we'll rest in His grace and mercy, we'll be transformed by the renewing of our mind, which will give life to your mortal, bo mortal bodies. That's Romans 8 and verse 11. You, you know that you have switched over to metanoia whenever you trust and whenever you, you lean on his forgiveness, his mercy, and his grace. Whenever you trust in the Lord, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not upon your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Whenever you trust, trust comes in whenever Answers don't seem to come. Whenever you have prayed and you're just not receiving the answer, you still trust in the Lord anyway. Regardless of what takes place, I am going to trust in the Lord. I don't understand why things are happening like they are, but I know one thing. He's got this under control. I know I'm his son and he's going to take care of it. I know he works all things together for my good. I don't know how he's going to do it, but I trust in him. And when you trust, then you can rest. How many people do you know who really live in true rest? Most people are anxious. They're, they're going at life 110 mile an hour, and uh, they're, they're anxious about all kinds of stuff. They, they, don't know how to, they don't know how to slow down and rest their mind. They don't know how to, to enjoy life. 
because of anxiety, because of stress. We, we, we should be the most easygoing people on the face of the earth. In the midst of stuff, we ought to be showing a lost and dying world how to live in peace in the midst of a storm. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. He showed us how to live at peace in the midst of a storm. We should be doing the same thing. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Are you being transformed glory by glory, line upon line? That's what I want in my life. I want to be transformed. I want to be renewed day by day. And how do we do that? I've shared this scripture, 1 John 4, 17, so many times here in the last couple of years because when I first saw this, 1 John 4, 17, when I first saw this, it's like, how have I missed this scripture? This is almost too good to be true. I've been, you know, I was a Christian for 49, 50 years when I, when all of a sudden this scripture is like, what? This is incredible. This is, this is the word of God. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Are you going to have boldness in the day of judgment or are you going to be scared out of your wits of what he's going to say to you? I want to have boldness in the day of judgment. Praise God, it's time to move on. Because as He is, so are we one of these days in the sweet by and by. As He is, so are we in this world. But we can't do that until we've been transformed. We can't do that until we live in true metanoia. But once you get that revelation, you begin to operate from a different source, from a different power. Then you can be as he is in this world. Okay. Now on to another thought. How much time do I have? What time is it? I'm not sure. All day? All right. What time is it? Let me go through this quickly. Jesus spent 33 years here upon the face of the earth. And you know what that 33 years basically was? Was transforming us, transporting us from Old Testament to New. So we had a 33-year period here where he takes us from the Old Testament law and begins to move us into New Testament grace. 33 years. So he's showing us how to do that. And so we have a couple of examples. I'm probably going to just have time to look at one this morning. A story you're very familiar with, but I want to show you how he begins to, to show us how he's moving from Old Testament to New. Matthew 14, this story about Jesus and Peter walking on the water. 
Very familiar story. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. But when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the water. The fourth watch was about 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. in the morning. So he's out for a real early morning stroll. Um, Verse 26, And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled saying, It is a ghost, and they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So now let's get into the mindset of the disciples. I, I think we can surmise here that, that and make it, make, even make a conjecture here, that Peter was beginning to see that Jesus was beginning to show them a pattern of how things are supposed to start working. It's no longer Old Testament law where you have to do this and do, don't do that. Are we supposed to still do, do certain things and not do other certain things? Sure we are. But we begin to live under the grace of God rather than the law of God. If you just went uh, about 10 hours earlier in this, maybe 12 hours earlier, they, they was in the midst of the feeding of the 5,000. So what Jesus did in the feed, we say the feeding of the 5,000, is really probably more like 15 or 20,000 because that's 5,000 men, uh, not, not including women and children. So a tremendous miracle. But what did Jesus do? They, they were saying that the, there's no food, it's time to eat, uh, there's no Taco Bell real close, so we, we need to send them away. And Jesus said, what did he say? He said, you give them something to eat. And, of course, Jesus performed the miracle. He's the one who fed them. But the disciples got to be a part of that. They were instrumental in the, the miracle of the feeding. And so this had to be on their mind. I mean, that, that was no small miracle. That was a, an amazing full gospel meeting that they had. They had a, an incredible time out there in the field. And so the disciples were involved in that. And that had to be on their mind, even though they were out in the sea at 3 o'clock in the morning. That had to be in the back of their minds. And so I'm thinking that Peter is probably thinking, well, I'm beginning to see a pattern here. And now I have another opportunity to be in ministry with Jesus. He's walking on the water. And wouldn't you know it would be Paul, or Peter, I'm sorry, it would be Peter who would think, I'm going to walk on the water with Jesus. So Jesus, if it's you, bid me to come to you. And Jesus said, come. That word come is the same word that's used whenever Jesus said, come to Lazarus. And he called him out of the grave. The same word. So he says to Peter, come. I'm not calling you out of the grave. I'm calling you out of the boat. Now, later we'll see here that 
So let's read it. Verse 28, And Peter answered and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you. Verse 29, So he said to him, Come. And Peter had come down out of the boat. He walked on the water to go to Jesus. Peter walked on the water. It's amazing. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. Now, wouldn't you think that his most doubting time would have been when he first stepped out of the boat? But Jesus had commanded him to come out of the boat. He said, come. And he stepped out of the boat as if he was stepping out on cement. I would have thought that coming down out of the boat, I would first want to test the water to see if I was going to be able to stand on it or not. But it, it says he come out of the boat is when he saw the, that the wind was boisterous and the waves that he began to doubt. And isn't it also interesting that he began to sink? It wasn't like, he's gone. <laughs> Cast, Casting Crowns has a song called, It's a Slow Fade. You know, if you, when you fall away, it usually doesn't happen in the blink of an eye. It usually happens over a period of time. And I, I, I just know I'm supposed to challenge someone here this morning. You're not where you're supposed to be. It's been a slow fade. You've gone down slowly. But you can get back quickly. You can get back to where you're supposed to be in an instant. Just metanoia. Had a change of heart change of mind and say, Lord, forgive me and go running back to the Father and instantly you're back. It's a slow fade. Do not be deceived. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. When they got into the boat, that means that Peter walked on the water a second time. But that time he was clinched by Jesus, being held by Jesus. That's a pretty good place to be. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Let me wrap this up quickly. Jesus says something really interesting there in verse 31. Oh, you of little date, uh, of little doubt, of little faith. I'll get it here in a minute. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? The English language is very complicated at times. Why do we spell doubt the way we spell it? Pronounce it like it's spelled. Doubt. <laughs> why do we put that B in there? Well, it's because it comes from another word, D-O-U-B-L-E. It comes from the word double, double-minded. So as long as Peter was singleness of mind, when he come down out of that boat and all he saw was Jesus, 
How many of you need to be going through life only seeing Jesus? But whenever he became double-minded, whenever he got his mind off of Jesus and he began to see the wind and he began to see the waves, that's when he began to sink. So doubt is whenever you are double-minded. So if you want to stay out of doubt, stay singleness of mind. Have your focus totally on the Lord. And you'll be fine. Why do we struggle with fear, doubt, and unbelief? Because we're double-minded. Now think about this. You know James. Who was James? He was a disciple. He was a half-brother of Jesus. He would have been in the boat whenever Jesus, or Jesus and Peter walked on the water. Real quick, quickly, and I'll, I'll promise, almost, I'll almost promise you I'll end with this. Look what James says. James, who would have been in the boat whenever they walked on the water, he says this, But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Isn't it interesting that James uses the wind and the, the uh, waves as an analogy whenever he was in the boat, whenever Peter doubted. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Isn't that amazing? So for you and I to live in metanoia, to live the life of love, to live the life of regeneration, of having a renewed mind, we have to be singleness of mind. Not double-minded in any area of life. Because James here says, he who is double-minded is, is unstable in all of his ways. So as we attempt, and it is an attempt because we have to, we have to constantly be working at this. To walk in the anointing of the Holy Spirit, to walk in the blessing of God, to walk in the favor of God, to be who we're supposed to be as He is on this, on this earth, so are we. To walk like that, man, we have to stay singleness of mind. We have to stay pure of heart. We have to be everything that He is calling us to be. And you know, He's calling all of us to be and to do some pretty amazing things. I want to be a part of this end time harvest. I think you do too. So let's all rise up and be who he's called us to be. Can you say amen? Amen. Let's stand. I made it about halfway through my notes. So, Father, we thank you for today. I would pray that as I stumble through this, Lord, that you would take it and minister to hearts, that you would cause today's word to not return void, but to go forth and accomplish that which, in which you have sent it. And I look forward to some good reports. Bless you and praise you in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you for listening to this podcast. 
For more messages like this or information about our church, please visit harmonychurchfamily.org.